Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. First of all, full disclosure, I'm not preaching this in church. I did preach this in church this morning, but we had technical difficulties, so it didn't get recorded, but I felt like this passage needed to be part of the series, so I'm redoing it in front of Bob's computer. Bob just ran out of here. He didn't want to hear it a second time, but I guess God knew I needed to hear it a second time because I'm going to have to preach it a second time. (laughs) The title for today is Renewing Your Faith. Renewing Your Faith, Joshua 8, 30-35. And the faith journey, talking about faith, the faith journey is like a roller coaster. There are many ups and downs. That's why I like Pilgrim's Progress so much. It's a must-read. It's the second most-read book in the history. Uh, the first-place book, most-read book, is obviously the Bible. But the second most-read book is Pilgrim's Progress. It's excellent. It's a must-read about the faith battles and faith journey. There's a kid's version and book, book and DVD called A Dangerous Journey, which you can read in little chapters or watch in little chapters. Very, very good. But John Bunyan wrote in the, in the 1600s, he wrote this book while he was in prison. He was in prison because he was preaching the gospel in England, which was illegal at that time. And it's a gripping story. It's a gripping allegory about our faith struggle, about the ups and downs that we go through, and the need to have our faith constantly renewed. We'll see the same thing in Joshua chapter 8 today the importance of renewing our faith. And also, it falls on Communion Sunday, which is what communion is all about, reconnecting with God and renewing. We have been going through chapter 7 and now verse chapter 8 also, and we saw how Israel was, everything was going great, then they messed up at Ai. God gives them a second chance. He does corrective surgery on them. He turns their failure into success. If you weren't here for any of those, make sure you get the CDs or go on the podcast YouTube site. If you're using the YouTube site, they have a different format now. Make sure you just click on videos, videos, and you'll get to see all the different sermons there. And now today we see an important spiritual step that they had to take to cement the spiritual lessons they learned from the battle. And this is very important, that this spiritual step cements the spiritual lessons that we learn from what we've gone through. Very, very important. Let me pray. Father, we just pray that whoever is hearing this, wherever they are, that your Holy Spirit would move and speak, and we pray for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua 8, verse 30, we're starting with. It says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses which he had written. All Israel, aliens and Sidians alike, aliens... (laughs) Excuse me. Aliens and citizens alike with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it. The priests who were Levites, half of the people stood in front of the Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. 
Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Now remember, this is all about our spiritual journey, our spiritual battles that we fight. It's all about this. And if you look at it that way, this is a physical picture of a spiritual reality in our life. If we look at it this way, we see several things that jump out at us from this passage. First of all, in verse 30, I'll read it again. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. And I'm going to call this in verse 30, living by faith. Living by faith. He built an altar on Mount Ebal. Now, they had just taken Jericho and just taken Ai and they had all the momentum momentum but so what would you have expected we'd expect them to keep on fighting right expect the blitz hit while you get them on the run you got the momentum on your side you don't call a timeout right but no they didn't do that they stopped so that they could hold an important religious ceremony to recommit to God doesn't make a lot of human sense does it that would be like attacking like back when we attacked Iraq when we went and liberated Iraq. Uh, when we first crossed in and started taking it, could you imagine they say, generals say, stop, that's, that's enough. Let's go on a Holy Land tour. Let's go over to Israel and tour the Holy Land. Then we'll come back and finish the, the war. That would be crazy, right? But that's exactly what God had them do. And the really amazing part, and this is just the most incredible part about this passage, is that Mount Ebal was a hundred miles away. A hundred miles away from where they were, and it was in dangerous territory. God led them into the heart of the land, not to fight, but to sacrifice, read their Bible, read God's word, and recommit. And everybody went, the whole nation, men, women, and children. What a trip. There was no trains or planes. This was, they had to walk all the way there. That had to be incredible. A hundred miles. Why did they go? Well, because Joshua led them there, and he led them in, there in obedience to the law. He led them in, there in obedience to Deuteronomy 27, 11 to 13. In fact, let me read those verses. Deuteronomy 27, verse 11. On the same day Moses commanded the people, when you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And then it goes on to talk about after that, they, in Deuteronomy 27, verse, and then chapters 28 also, they read the law, lots of parts of the law. They did the blessings and curses, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, and then they recommitted themselves to God. So this was all commanded back in Deuteronomy. When they get there, they're supposed to go up on Mount Ebal and, and do this. So, to do this, this was an act of faith. It really was an act of faith. They had just conquered two cities, lots more cities to conquer, lots more enemies to conquer, but they stopped, and instead they travel 100 miles deep into enemy territory, not to fight, but to hold a revival service. That took a lot of nerve, didn't it? But God commanded them, to do it, and he promised that to give them the land and the victory. And that's why it's vital to know God's word, to know his word, and to keep his commands and to hold on to his promises. He had promised them that they could do this. 
And because of those promises, they claim by faith, not just living by faith and an act of faith, but they claim by faith what he told them to claim. They didn't actually own the land yet, yet they claimed it by faith. They were spiritual squatters. Spiritual squatters. They, this was all by faith. Some of you remember 17 years ago. You were here when we first started the church. God led us to start New Hope Community Church right here in New Hope. And New Hope was a scary place. I remember Paul and Beth coming over for dinner and, and Paul saying, I feel like God's leading us to go with you to New Hope, but, but I don't want to go. And I said, I don't want to go either. <laughs> we still laugh about that. Uh, it was a scary place. The witchcraft was so rampant. Sodom and Gomorrah, it was called the Sodom and Gomorrah of Pennsylvania. It was referred to as a graveyard for churches. Many churches that tried to start in this town died away and, and they're gone. It was a graveyard for churches. And there was a good reason why we were nervous about coming. Remember all the threats that we faced and the attacks? There would be protesters and TV stations and reporters and people sneaking into the services trying to disrupt it. Sounds a lot like the USA Today, doesn't it? We're just about 20 years ahead here in New Hope. And remember the policemen in the service every week? We had a couple policemen for three months. They had to be here to, to make sure that we could have our service and still hold it. Then, in spite of all this, after, after we got moved here as a church, Kim and I bought a house. And it was going to take a year to get done, but we bought a, a house. And, we, and a year later, while we're still just in a real tentative time of the church, we moved our family here. And it was crazy. We didn't know if the church would survive. We didn't even know if the country would survive. I remember after we sold our other house and we were moving here, waiting for our other house to just be finished up. We had about a month that we had to stay with Kim's parents. And while we were there, 9-11 happened. It was crazy. We Just before we moved in, it was crazy. And I remember saying to God, God, what am I doing here? Moving into the here and, and uh, you know, buying a house here. This is, this is crazy. What am I doing? What are we doing here? But we believe God led us here, and we claimed it by faith. We took an act of faith. We were really living by faith. Remember going through all that stuff? We were living by faith. And that's what the Christian life is all about, living by faith. We come to the cross by faith, which is the altar. We're going to see the altar and the cross are the same thing. We come by faith, and we say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I repent of those sins. I ask you to forgive me for those sins. And I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus now. I'm putting my faith and trust in him. But after we do that, much of our life is still under enemy control. They're still strongholds, just like the Israelites. They crossed the Jordan. They got to the promised land. But what do they find? Enemies everywhere and cities everywhere. And they had to fight. The rest of their lives, they had to fight to knock down those strongholds. And the same thing happens to us. We're set free. We're into the promised land. And yet we realize we have lots of enemies within and without the fight. Strongholds will overcome. But by faith, we must believe that God will give us the promised victory. And we have to fight in that faith. We're talking about sanctification, which means to be set apart, to be holy, to become like Jesus. And the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are sanctified positionally. That's our position in Christ. We are seated with Christ. We have already been sanctified with him. And yet, even though as positionally we are sanctified, there's still the practical sanctification, the progressive sanctification that's a lifelong battle. It takes the rest of our life fighting. I remember many times in my life that I lost hope. I remember thinking, I'm going to die in defeat. I will go through life haunted by this X, Y, or Z struggle. 
But that struggle has taught me something very important. It taught me something. That's what the struggle did. I remember, I'll give me an example. I remember being on the farm and remember we talked about hypnotizing chickens, but I referred to the dogs killing chickens. And what, what would happen is oftentimes a dog, when we first got it or it was growing up from a puppy, it would see a chicken and say, that looks like fun, and it would go and kill it. And once they killed one chicken, that was bad because they would keep on killing them unless you could stop them, break them of that bad habit. And my mom, I remember how she broke the dogs of that habit. If a dog would kill a chicken, she would take the chicken and tie it around the dog's neck, right to the collar. She'd take a piece of twine and tie it right to the collar, and she would leave that chicken hanging from the dog's neck. Dog didn't mind for the first five minutes or first hour. That's what he wanted to get a chicken. But after a day and after two days, and after three days, that chicken began to stink. And it wasn't allowed in the, the dog wasn't allowed in the house anymore in the back shed. And, and they weren't allowed in that back shed to sleep. And, and if we saw that dog come, we ran away because that chicken was ripe. We didn't want anything to do with that dog or that chicken. And what happened is that dog, after a couple of days, my mom would finally cut the chicken off its neck. That dog learned to hate chickens. Never wanted to see another chicken again. If a chicken even walked near the dog, the dog would turn around and run away. They did not want anything to do with that. And that's what happens with us. That's why God lets us struggle. Why he lets us keep battling. Because we have to learn to hate our sin. If we don't learn to hate our sin, we will go back to it. We'll go right back to it. And I remember I memorized many verses and held on to the promises. I had to learn to hold on to the promises. I remember one one verse that just hit me the other day. I was out walking and, and going through verses, and I remembered this verse, Jude verse 24, Jude 1 verse 24, where it says, this is a great one, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And even though I was falling and struggling, I'm like, you know what? God is able to keep me from falling. And he's going to present me before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. It's going to happen. I just got to keep persevering, which I did. I kept fighting. I learned to persevere. I saw progress in my life. And now I'm perfect. <laughs> just ask him and the kids. They'll tell you. Seriously. Years later, I look back and I can't believe where I was. I can't believe where I was in, with X, Y, and Z. But that encourages me with my struggles now. I'm like, well, I'm really struggling with this now. But you know what? Hey, I saw what God did with that other struggle. And I know he's going to bring me through it. I just have to persevere. It's like a baby learning to walk. When the baby first starts to learn how to walk, there's lots of bumps and tears. And then all of a sudden, they're off and running. Then they're a toddler and, and they're running around. But they still fall sometimes. Then there's lots of bruises and even broken bones as they get older. Uh, I, with a 13 kids, you can imagine how many broken bones we have seen. In fact, we were at a restaurant one time and someone yelled, hi, Wilson family, how you doing? And we're like, who is that? And then we figured out uh, later after we talked to the person, that was the ER nurse. <laughs> they knew us so well. But over time, it's less and less of falling, less and less of broken bones, less and less of getting knocked down until we get older, but we won't go into that. A great verse that I that really talks about this whole struggle is in First Peter one. In First Peter one verse five, it says this: "Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials." That word there for trial could mean a struggle, but also the same word used for temptation. Temptations are a trial, a struggle in our life. 
He says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to encourage you to memorize a verse like this and memorize verses. And, 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 and as we go through these battles, we fight these battles. We also develop our faith. It grows deeper and it's refined faith. It's a golden faith. That's what happens as we go through this. But before we can live by faith, we must be saved by faith. Saved by faith. Back to Joshua chapter 8, verse 31. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And I'm calling this saved by faith because the altar was a meeting place between God and man. It was made out of dirt and stones. Why? Because we bring nothing of value. Nothing. It's all God's work. They weren't allowed to use any tool on that altar. That's why when you see people in certain religious groups that make these really fancy altars and fancy crosses and and they're they're missing the point no it was it was a a crude wooden cross it was it was an altar of of dirt and stones and there's nothing we can do nothing that we can add to it we shouldn't add to it it's all god no human works and these same groups teach work salvation don't they they teach that you can work your way and earn your way into heaven but that's not true it's all god we don't bring anything we they, originally they brought a lamb but ultimately god even provided that Remember Abraham and Isaac? God provided the, the ram caught in the thicket. And God still provides the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The altar is a type of the cross. And the Lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ who died on that cross. And we are saved by faith, by just simply putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what communion is all about. We're remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. We're going to celebrate communion in a little while. There's one more thing. Not just living by faith and saved by faith, but it's being renewed by faith. And once again, that's what communion is all about, is renewing our faith. Verse 32. Let me read you 32 through 35. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the alien who lived among them. So we see the renewed faith, not just living by faith, saved by faith, but we see a renewed faith. They renewed the covenant. The covenant was made at Mount Sinai 40 years before. Then it was renewed again in Deuteronomy 29. And now again, now again, because it's a new generation. Each must decide. Each generation, we aren't saved because of our parents' faith. Each generation must decide. Are we going to obey or disobey God? Do we want to be blessed or cursed as, a, as, a, as an individual, as a church, as a country? 
What will our country choose? And notice who's there. It says the strangers, the aliens were there. Who is that? Well, we know for sure some of them, Rahab and her family. Remember Rahab? Rahab and her family. And this foreshadows the Gentiles. That's most of us. We, I know we have some Jewish brothers and sisters here who are believers in Jesus Christ, but the rest of us are Gentiles. And this shows that we are also going to be able to come to the cross. But before they could move forward, the Israelites, back to the Israelites, before they could move forward, they had to reconsecrate. They they had to commit to God's word. Look what it says. Every word. Joshua didn't leave one word out. Not, sing, not one single one. And once again, that's a reminder that we have to commit to God's entire word. Christianity is not a buffet. We can't pick what we want and leave what we don't want. Christianity is not Burger King. You remember Burger King? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. Have it your way. Have it your way. Remember that? That's Burger King. But that's not, that's not Christianity. We don't have it our way. It's God's way. We don't want it to have it our way. Our way is, is sin. And sin is a lie. It's a lie. It, it, it's, it's, it hurts us. It destroys us. It steals our potential. It steals our blessing. It keeps us from becoming who God wanted us to be. And that's why he says, don't do it. You're going to be under a curse. Do it God's way. And this all fulfills the picture of salvation and sanctification. We're saved so that we can live out the law. That's why we're saved, so we can really live it out. In fact, in 1 John 5, verses 3 to 4, 1 John 5, 3 to 4, it says, This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. If we really love God, we're going to carry out his commands. And they're not burdensome. It's, it's not a hard thing. It's not a negative thing. We know that it's, 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 a, it's God's love that has given us his laws. Because he wants us to have joy and peace in a real life. And that's also what communion is all about. Reconnecting and recommitting to purity and God's purpose. Are we ready this morning for communion? Have you been saved? Have you put your faith in the Lamb? Have you come to the altar, the cross, and given your life to Jesus Christ? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Has there been a time in your life when you said, God, I believe Jesus died for me, for my sin." on the cross for, in my place, and I put my faith in him. I'm giving my life to him. If you've done that, if you've been saved by faith, are you ready to renew your faith, to recommit, to get rid of the junk in your life, and, and focus on the purity and God's purpose on your life? Before we can move forward, just like the Israelites, before we can move forward, we have to be pure, just like them, as individuals, as families, as a church, as a country. We have to commit to holiness. Will we fight in faith? No matter how hard the battle gets, no matter how hot the refining gets, will we fight in faith? Is God calling us to take a step of faith in our life or in our ministry? Are we living by faith in every area of our life? What promise do we need to claim by faith? What promise do we need to claim? 